One of the saints that we love the most here at Wallet Win is Saint Catherine Drexel, and today we are just blessed beyond belief to have、uh, Sister Pat here from the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, the order that Saint Catherine founded here on the podcast today, and we're going to chat about、uh, about her founder and our、uh, patroness, Saint Catherine. Thank you very much for joining us today, sister. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to be with you and share what I can. It's such a gift to have you here. We are thrilled、uh, for our listeners to be able to kind of get this inside peek into Saint Catherine's life.、Uh, but as we get started, would you mind sharing a little bit about your own story, Sister Pat? Just how you discerned your vocation to become a Sister of the Blessed Sacrament. I'd be very happy to do that.、Um, I grew up in Chicago. And、uh, I have been a sister of the Blessed Sacrament coming this September. I'll be fifty-seven years.、Um, I entered、uh, then in nineteen sixty-five, and that was during the、uh, civil rights movement. And for myself, as a young person growing up in Chicago,、um, I guess I was pretty much、um, appalled、mm-hmm. uh, as I became aware of the injustices that were going on in the、uh, black community.、Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that more basically from、um, watching on TV when you saw what was going on with the different、uh, when they had different protests, and also、uh, from school. And、uh, there was just something within my heart. I wanted to make this world、uh, a better place.、Mm. Uh, from probably even before that, I was drawn very much. I wanted to do some type of missionary work. I wanted to share the gospels with others.、Um, But I was very much drawn also to the Blessed Sacrament. I had a great love for the、uh, Eucharist, and whenever I had a chance, going to work or coming from school or doing whatever I was doing, I'd try to pop into church just for a few minutes, just to be in the presence. And、um, I guess as I was discerning my vocation, it was God putting all these different pieces together for me. Though as a young person, I probably didn't have the brains at that time. <laughs> to realize all that was happening, but、um, when I look at it, you know, I see it in terms for our congregation. It is that whole idea of being missionary, of going places. A lot of times, when other people are hesitant to go,、mm-hmm. um, be able to、uh, to share that gospel message of Jesus,、uh, to be centered on the Eucharist, to be centered on social justice. And our congregation had all those pieces together, and so God drew me then to the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. And so for 57 years, as I said, I've been living this life, and I have been blessed over and over again. So I can truly, I consider my life a very blessed one, and it continues to be at this point.、Hmm. I love your story. I love just thinking about you know you walking around in Chicago and popping in to see Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. There's a lot、yeah. of churches in Chicago, and they're very beautiful. So <laughs> very beautiful. In those days, too, the churches were open. You know, life、yeah. is a little bit different now, but in those days, the churches were open. You know, so you could always go in and just just for a few minutes. You know, just just kind of like to say hello, and go about your business. And that was、uh, always a joy for me to be able to do it. Wonderful. So, fifty-seven years.、Uh, 
a beautiful vocation that you've had. Can you tell me a little bit about just how you started to hear about your foundress, uh, St. Catherine, and just kind of how her story evolved as time came on, went on? She wasn't canonized until, was it the year no. 2000? Right, correct. So um, she probably wasn't, you know, you probably learned more about her over the years. Truly, I really did. Uh, I wasn't um, drawn, uh, truthfully, as far as the congregation went, um, I wasn't even really that much aware of Catherine Drexel uh, at the very beginning. She mm. died in 1955. I died, I entered in 1965. Mm. Um I was aware, before I entered, I was aware that she founded the congregation. I'm presuming some type of materials I received or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember reading her life, her, the story of her life. But I think um, for Mother Catherine and for the sisters, certainly in those early years, it was, it was never about her as a person. Mm-hmm. It was always about the mission. It was always about the people. It was always about the Eucharist. And... Um, so not really until much later uh, did I really kind of become more aware of her whole total story of how amazing it is and what a really holy, holy woman uh, she was and continues to be. Um, as for our congregation, her tomb at that time, the tomb right now of Catherine Drexel is uh, moved to the cathedral here in Philadelphia. It had been at our mother house. We are in the process of selling our mother house, though. Mm. So in 2018, the body was transferred to the uh, cathedral. But um, prior to that, when it was at the mother house, uh, we were always invited to go and to pray by her crypt if we wished, which I would do, you know, periodically. Then after she was canonized, of course, it became a center and many people came. Mm-hmm. But uh, in those very early days... Um, it was never a whole lot about her, and she never wanted it to be about her. Uh, she always wanted it to be about Jesus and the Eucharist, you know. And even where, basically, I think when she was at the mother house, uh, one of the things we used to think, people would come to pray at her tomb, you know, especially after she was canonized. But uh, we also had the um, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament always in the chapel every day. So people would come to pray at her tomb, but then they'd come up to the chapel to pray. And we always thought how fitting that was, because that's really what she wanted, was to draw people to Jesus. Would you mind, uh, you know, some of our listeners aren't that familiar with the story of St. Catherine's life. Uh, would you be able to walk us through kind of how she became the woman of God that she was? Sure. I would be, be delighted to be able to do that. Um, I think I'll give you, first of all, begin with a little summary. It was a book written by uh, Lou Baldwin at the time of her canonization. And on the cover, there's a picture of Catherine Drexel as a debutante. Mm. And he has the words around it. And I I really have them. He said, Catherine Drexel was a millionaire's daughter, a debutante who chose poverty over wealth, the oppressed over society, and Christ over comfort. That kind of gives you just a little summary of her. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. In 1891, she founded the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. And the purpose, our our goal, or our mission really is to minister with the black and Native American uh, peoples in terms of social justice and in bringing people to the Eucharist. Um, Catherine herself was born on November the 26th in 1858. 
Her father was Francis Anthony Drexel. Uh, he was a, a banker and a Catholic. Her mother was Hannah Jane Langstroth, and she was a Quaker. And when Catherine was born, they, she already had a, an older sister, Elizabeth. She was three years old. But five weeks after Catherine was born, her mom died. So then Catherine and her sister Elizabeth went to live with their uncle and their aunt. And her uncle, uh, Anthony, which is the brother of uh, her father, is also the founder of Drexel University here in Philadelphia. So people might be you know, aware of that. So that's part of the family there. In 1860, her father remarried. And he remarried Emma Mary Bouvier. And she's a distant relative of uh, Jacqueline um, Bouvier Kennedy. And they had one daughter then, Louise. So there were three girls then. There was uh, Elizabeth and Catherine and Louise. And Catherine and her sisters, uh, again, were they were homeschooled. And they had uh, with tutors. And they traveled throughout the United States and Europe. Because I mentioned, you know, her father was a banker. And mm -hmm. he was really a very... Their family was very wealthy. But the one thing that both her father and her mother taught the girls from very early on, that the wealth they had was not just for their own use, but they were to use it in ways to be able to, um, to share uh, for those who have a need. They were also a very prayerful family. And um, from what I can understand, they lived here in Philadelphia on uh, what would be called Center City now, in, on Walnut Street. Of course, the house is now not no longer there. But their home had a little chapel even in it. So when the father would come from work, he would kind of reserve, go into that room, and just, I guess, kind of, you know, center himself a bit. Um, her mother opened their home three times, three uh, times a week. Uh, for the poor. Now, you have to remember, this is a very wealthy section of Philadelphia at that time where the home was located. Mm -hmm. And um, she called what she did Dorcas after the charitable women in the Acts of the Apostles. So after a while, their mother, their, the girls, you know, were young first, and they would observe what their mother was doing. And then after a while, they kind of participated uh, in that. And one of the things, her mother was very... Um, and even in helping the poor, she did it with the greatest of dignity, mm. of, of wanting to be able to uh, to help others, but always do it in a way that uh, their dignity would be uh, respected. Um, in 1883, though, Emma, which is the mother, mm -hmm. died uh, from cancer. And prior to that, Catherine was uh, kind of helping mother, taking care of the mother. And I guess really it was during that time that Catherine really began to look at life and to say, you know, like, what is really life all about? Mm -hmm. I had mentioned, you know, she was a debutante. She had, uh, I think, um, different uh, suitors, I guess you'd say at those times, you know, <laughs> and uh, people kind of looking or men wanting to marry her. But she didn't, there's just something about it. She knew there was something more that she wanted in life. And the, the wealth in that was not something that ever was something that she was um, excited about or drawn to. Mm -hmm. She, I guess, went through the motions of it. If you're in that category of wealth, you know, you have to go to those debutante balls and all that. But I don't think it was something 
she was all excited about, you know, from what I can understand. But after that, she began to feel really like a call to religious life. She was very much really interested more, though, in cloistered religious life. Mm. There was a priest at that time that was a good friend of the uh, family, a Father O'Connor, who later became Bishop O'Connor. But he became her spiritual advisor. Um, because of the generosity, though, of the Drexel family, and this is uh, both the mother and the dad, as I expressed, uh, different missionaries would come to their home and would visit them. Uh, and priests in particular that worked in the West uh, in the, with the Native American peoples and the various tribes mm-hmm. would come, and they would share the great need uh, with her parents, really, you know, mm-hmm. and their, Catherine and her sisters heard all of this. They also joined their father um, on trips, business trips to the West. And um, during that time, they saw for themselves the great needs and also the injustices that was done by our country to the Native American peoples with the various treaties that were made and broken and people being pushed to different reservations and all of that. So she had a great heart for that and a great uh, concern about the injustice that was done and a great desire also for the people to know about the Eucharist, about Jesus. So in 1885, though, Mr. Drexel died. He died suddenly. He just had a heart attack in the home. Hmm. And that was really devastating for uh, Catherine and her sisters. So after maybe a year or so after Kath, uh, the father died, the girls went on a trip and they went to Europe. Because again, I said, these are very rich women. So <laughs> they spent a lot of time. I don't think it was a three-week vacation. It was months, you know, that they went to Europe to the spas and all that type of stuff. Yeah. But in the midst of all of that, on January the 27th in 1887, uh, it was arranged maybe through by that time through Bishop O'Connor or some bishop. That he would, that the girls would have uh, an, a private audience with Pope Leo the Thirteenth, uh, and probably Pope Leo was aware of the generosity the Drexels had to the various missions. Mm-hmm. And during that particular uh, audience, um, Catherine spoke up, and I, I'm not too sure. I, in audiences, I you speak up. I don't know if you do that, <laughs> but she did, you know. And she asked Pope Leo to send missionaries from Europe to work with the Native American peoples. Um, he, she very much wanted priests. And uh, he just looked at her. And her his reply, though, really kind of shook her, from what we can understand. Uh, he said to her, why not become a missionary yourself, my child? Hmm. And we are told that after an audience, she really became very physically ill. And she cried. She couldn't understand what it was that he meant. Like I mentioned, she was drawing, being drawn to religious life, but a cloistered religious life. And the idea about being a missionary and all that was, she, she couldn't quite probably comprehend it. And the fact that it was coming from the Pope, I think it just added another whole <laughs> level of, you know, like, what is it? What am I supposed to do with this, you know? Mm-hmm. But so she returned home, came back to the States here to Philadelphia. And she began to pray about this. And so again, she approached uh, Bishop O'Connor about this possibility of, you know, going to religious life, of being there. And he really discouraged her. 
Because, again, these girls had a lot of money mm. at their discretion now. And um, he said she could do more uh, in the world, as he would put it, as a laywoman with her wealth to help uh, the poor, uh, uh, the Native American people. And also during this time, she became, this is now you have to remember right after the civil rights, uh, civil uh, war, she became also aware of the needs of the black people. Mm-hmm. This was right after slavery. Mm-hmm. So he said to her, no, stay in the world, you know, and make your contributions and you can, you can, you'll help them and in, in, in better that way. Mm. However, she really continued to pray about it and discern about it. And when you read about her life, she was very clear in her discernment. She did pros and cons and, you know, what would it be like? And, and she was very honest, you know, the idea about having to live religious life with a bunch of women and maybe they'd be old maids and she wouldn't like that and <laughs> stuff like that. And, and, and so she was very, uh, very honest about her discernment, you know. But then in the end, she really continued to feel drawn. And um, so in the end, though, Bishop O'Connor said, okay. But then she, he added another thing to it, and that he told her that she needed to found her own congregation. Hmm. Because he said to her, you know, you can't enter, when you enter religious life, you're not going to be telling them what to do. You can't <laughs> be telling them with your money, for so you wouldn't have the use of your money if you were in another congregation. And um, he said, it just doesn't work that way. He said, you will have to find your own, found your own congregation. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that uh, she really had to take to prayer. Because it's one thing entering religious life, but it's another whole thing to found a congregation. Sure. The responsibility of that all the way around for so many dimensions of it, that was it's tremendous. So she took that to prayer. But in the end, uh, through her prayer and through God working through her, on March the 19th, uh, she made her decision that, yes, she'll found a congregation and she will begin this journey. So in 1889, she entered the novitiate of the Sisters of the Mercy in Pittsburgh to prepare for what God was asking her to do. Because, mm-hmm. again, uh, she had to go to some place that uh, was living religious life. You don't just uh, wake up and say, okay, I'm going to do this and even put on a habit. Yeah. And become a nut, you know. You have to be trained. You have to, what, what is this really all about? Mm-hmm. So um, in 1889, she went. In, uh, on February the 12th in 1891, uh, our congregation, the Sisters of Blessed Sacrament, was really founded. Because it was on that day then that she professed her first vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm-hmm. And she took a fourth vow which was to be the mother and servant of the Indian and Negro races. After that, the, um, she came back here to Philadelphia, and the congregation grew and attracted other women who, like St. Catherine, desired to care for the needs of the black and Native American peoples, to bring the Eucharist, and to bring social justice. Um, Catherine was a very um, wise and astute businesswoman, too. Mm -hmm. Um, During her time, she opened and staffed uh, and directly supported 60 schools in the West and in the South. 
including um, St. Michael's Indian School on the Navajo Reservation and also Xavier University of Louisiana, Hmm. which is the only historically black and Catholic university in the country. And both of those schools continue in the mission today. Catherine understood very much from the very beginning the importance and power of education Mm -hmm. to empower people so they can create their own futures, excuse me, and lead their own communities. So that was very much, it was the idea of, you know, there's that story um, you probably have heard uh, about, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing it a bit here, you know, I guess you, you give somebody a fish and they're going to come back to you tomorrow because they ate the fish. Yeah. But if you teach somebody to fish, then they're set for life. And I think that was very much in terms of her whole idea in terms of education. Mm-hmm. So very much of what we did as Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament was uh, in terms of education mm-hmm. from um, primary schools all the way up to the university level. Until 1935, she served as the Superior General of the Congregation. But then due to health concerns, she had to give up that role. Mm. And it was interesting because then for the next 20 years of her life, she was really led a life of prayer. Kind of God gave her, we always think of it like um, the gift of what she wanted, that contemplative life. Mm. So she was able to do that for the last, yes, for the last 20 years. And um, where our mother house, when we were located there in Ben Salem, there's a certain part where she would go in and she could just look over the chapel and uh, pray in the presence of the, um, the exposed Blessed Sacrament. And, and she'd pray, pray for the world and pray for the missions and everything all around, you know. And in 1964, her cause for canonization was opened. And in 1988, she was beatified. In 2000, she was canonized. And interesting, both the miracle for the beatification and for the canonization had to do with the healing of children that Mm. were deaf. Mm. So sometimes, you know, when we looked at that in those days, and we can still now see ideas like, what is God saying? And I think through her, the importance of listening Mm. on how we all have to listen, listen to God's word, listen to to each other, uh, to be able to, to do what it is that God is, you know, truly asking of us. The other thing I think maybe because of the nature of the work that you do that you might be interested in is a little bit more about the finances in terms with Catherine herself. Um, Because the fact she founded the congregation, she then was able yet to be able to to use the inheritance that she received from her father for the mission. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time of um, um, the father's death, the, um, her parents, I guess, even in their death, the parents taught the, the, those, the girls the value and importance of philanthropy and mm-hmm. charity. Yeah. They left 10% of their accumulated wealth to, to other charities. Uh, the other $14 million was left to the daughters in a form of a trust. And uh, Mr. Drexel, though, was very wise. He did it in such a way that he provided so that his daughters, and I think they have it somewhere written, that they would be able to live as they had were accustomed to. Because, again, I said, you know, these are women that were wealthy women. Mm-hmm. However, his will also indicated 
that once the daughters died, because this money came through the daughters, their children could inherit the money, but no husbands. So this was his way of protecting his daughters in case yes. some guy thought, oh, you know, let me marry them. You know, that wasn't yes. going to work for that, you know. And But if there were no children, then the remaining money was to go to the various charities that Mr. Drexel had designated. Mm-hmm. Now, Mother Catherine's two sisters that I had mentioned, Louise and uh, Elizabeth, died uh, before Mother Catherine did, mm-hmm. and there were no children. So since Mother Catherine founded the congregation after her father's death, um, the sisters, though, themselves, um, we were not listed in the uh, the will right. because of the fact we weren't founded yet, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mother Catherine was told by lawyers that she could take that will to court because certainly the father would have wanted the congregation to share in that money. Right. And I guess to break what they say, break the will, you know, or change the will, whatever you do. But anyway, she said no. She said the sisters would trust in divine providence. Mm. So when Mother Catherine died, the congregation no longer had the money to assist in the missions. However, the money, the remaining money, and that so the remaining money went to the other uh, charities that Mr. Drexel had in his will. However, Mother Catherine, again, like I said, she was a very wise businesswoman, and she could see in the future of what would be happening, you know, when, it, when she was a younger woman. So with that, she did a lot of wise planning and stewardship over these years, over those years. And because of that, um, and her belief and trust in divine providence, um, that did work, provided for what we needed be able to do the mission and to take care of the what we were responsible for. We always had what we needed. We didn't always have what we wanted, but we always had <laughs> what we needed, yes. you know. So um, I think Mother Catherine, again, I said she was a very wise uh, steward with her money. There's a, another, I don't have uh, access to it right now, but there was an um, article in... Um, I think it was the Boston Catholic paper this past week, the uh, here in the Catholic Philadelphia paper. And then also there's a magazine that's put out um, in quarterly by the Josephite Fathers, Josephite Fathers out of Baltimore. And um, it was about Mother Catherine's um, tax law. Mm. She, it's yes. a very interesting article. I could send you a, a copy of it and you could to look at. I'm sure you might be interested in it. But the, the tax law was such that, um, bef- I mean, before the uh, this law that she helped push through Congress, truthfully, um, was that I guess when you do your taxes, I mean, you obviously you have to pay taxes on all the money that you have and everything like that, if you, unless you do charitable things. Right. So she, however, this uh, uh, law was constructed it was such it's called the philadelphia the nun law (laughs) and it was that if you gave 50 percent of your money to charity i guess you didn't have to pay taxes on that but you had to do that for the past 10 years so it couldn't just decide to do it one year or something like Mm, that you know and they said for her she gave 90 percent of her um money to charity. Mm. So she far exceeded the 50%. Right. 
And that law, I think, was in effect. I forgot whatever year they said, but she so she was a person who um, she knew how to uh, to do things, to do things in the correct way, but always to be able to do it for for the good of other people, you mm. know, and for sharing the gospel. So. So you, so you were a member in, um, you know, you were already a professed sister by the time she was canonized in year 2000. Were you able to be there at her canonization? Yes, yes. That was a marvelous, marvelous time. They probably had about, I guess, I don't know, maybe a thousand, two thousand people went for her canonization. It was a marvelous time. It was in, uh, when she was canonized, she was canonized at St. Peter's Square, and it was done outside with Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. But also, there were a hundred Chinese martyrs. There was Josephine Bakita, who had mm-hmm. been a slave from the Sudan. And I'm, I'm sorry to say there's a, a sister from Spain who was also uh, canonized. I always forget her name when I forget it right now. <laughs> and, uh, and Mother Catherine. So that was one, and it was also Jubilee year. Oh, that's right. So to be able to be there, we were very blessed. Uh, I I would say probably with the sisters, maybe about a hundred of us went. We had a benefactor that enabled us to be able to go. We just had to be able to walk 20 minutes unassisted to be able to (laughs) get there to go. um, But it was a marvelous, a marvelous event. And I think the thing was, First, you saw the universal church. You saw people from all the continents there. And um, that in itself, you know, you see the, 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 the people of God from everywhere. And that was marvelous. And the day itself was kind of like, um, I'm just looking at today, we're in Philadelphia, I'm speaking, and it's raining. And it was doing that, that day in, in uh, St. Peter's Square. So we had the umbrellas up and down, you know. <laughs> but the thing was, when Pope uh, John Paul II declared her a saint and said her name, the sun came out. So we were like, mm. whoa, you know, that was that was really something. Mm-hmm. But it was a marvelous, marvelous time. And I think, too, how God provides, um, because that day when we had the, the scripture readings, it was a Sunday. And... Um, and I cannot quote for you the particular scripture reading, but one of our sisters did it, and she I would say she did a marvelous job with it. But it was proclaiming, really, of God saying to people, for people who are rich and who do not help others, there was a condemnation of it in that mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, it was like something um, you might have chosen. But wasn't that, this was not something we chose. This was mm. part of the liturgical readings, you know, and how God works through all of that. Mm. So that that was a very, very powerful time. And then the other thing that was very powerful for us is that uh, after um, you have the you have your big mass and everything like that, but then a day or so afterwards, your particular group is given the opportunity to have a mass of thanksgiving. For that saint, mm-hmm. and part of that is that the mass of um, canonization is um, well. I guess I'll put it very simply: what any group, any of, of the groups that are being canonized, there's regular rituals and all of that. You do not have a say about much of anything in that particular liturgy. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, on the Mass of Thanksgiving, you do. You have much more uh, leeway in terms of your, the music, in terms of reading, in, in terms of everything. You know, sure. it's more suited to you. So our Mass that day was at St. The next day was at St. Paul outside the wall, that particular mm-hmm. basilica. Beautiful. And it was, it was a beautiful place. And um, the thing I think that was very moving for all the sisters and when we talk about it, that this is one of the things we still always talk about, that prior to that, uh, we all lined up, you know, they had us lined up in the back somewhere, and then we walked in, and uh, we had the choir from Xavier University was doing the singing, mm. and, uh, and we had all kinds of bishops and priests and cardinals and all there, you know, too. But anyway, as we walked into the church, into the basilica, in procession, all the people that were part of our group that were there for canonization, they all clapped. They stood up and clapped. Hmm. And for each sister, I think tears just came to our eyes because the gratitude that was being expressed by the people, uh, we realized it was a gratitude for the, the shoulders of the sisters that we stand and the sisters that were not there. Mm-hmm. Many of the sisters that were in eternal life already. Mm-hmm. That's that was the gratitude that was there. Certainly for those of us that were walked in the procession, but we realized that clapping wasn't just for us, right. but it was for all those that had gone before us. You know, and that was such. Um, I guess you know when Jesus tells us, you know, that you will get the your hundredfold. You know, you have mm. homes all over and brothers and sisters and that. I think for us that was that was part of that that hundredfold hmm. that uh, experience that gratitude of the of the people um, and the love between the people and the sisters, which um, is very such a very great bond. I think because I think our sisters, besides being educators, um, were also people that were we didn't just teach. We visited in the homes. We uh, did whatever we could to help people in terms of whatever their particular situations were. And uh, I think most of all, and when you hear that when you speak to anyone who is our uh, alumni, and that is that the love that the sister showed and also the dignity for the mm-hmm. person. And the idea that was kind of, I guess I'll use the words, drummed into those children that you can be and do anything that you want, um, which was not always the message society was giving the people at that time, and sometimes even today yet. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a marvelous, marvelous time. Oh, that sounds amazing. Sounds wonderful. Um, can you share a little bit, of, you know, since that was in the year 2000, the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament continue the ministry, the mission work. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, where are you located, and what are the sisters up to now? Um, after uh, 131 years, uh, we are still located. We're much smaller now. Our numbers are much smaller, so we don't aren't able to reach as much as we would like. However, we are still um, in inner cities. We're still in small rural towns, and we're on the reservation. Mm-hmm. Our sisters continues to be involved in uh, parish ministry, in uh, religious education, and social services. Um, 
We're also involved in regular, ed- if I'll say regular education, from preschool to the university levels. Mm-hmm. And um, we have some sisters now that are working as chaplains in hospitals and in nursing facilities. Um, some are also doing administrative work. Some are doing kind of work more that would be, you would say, care of the earth. So uh, though our numbers are growing smaller, we continue to, to carry out the mission mm-hmm. and to be, hopefully, to be those witnesses uh, to others of uh, the Eucharist of bringing all people to Jesus. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing these stories. I mean, I know for us personally, we've just had a smiles plastered on our face the entire time. We've always loved the different stories from St. Catherine's life. Um, you know, I've always admired her. You know, you mentioned after her father's death, she went over to Europe. And I, I read a book where it talked about, you know, she did go to a spa for a month. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, she took care of herself. But then right. also... Uh, only it only to the to the degree that it you know helped her continue puttering on right. to answer Jesus's call, right? Yeah, and just always had that really beautiful just kind of balance between uh, being grounded here on Earth, but also always remembering that we were made for eternity. Um, and I think that that's a hard balance to strike, and I just love how Saint Catherine lived that. I think that's very true. You know, I think one of the things too when you read her writings, so you look at her words. We have a I send a little something out every month to our associates, and there's like a quote every day from her, you know. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I read those words myself, I think to myself, oh, my goodness. You know, you you say, okay, if a person, if, a, if they're canonized as saints, you say, well, certainly they are holy people. But when you really take into account and you read their words mm. and you realize the the depth of the relationship that they had with Jesus, um, it is astounding. It really is, you know. Uh, and I think for myself, when I read those words on certain days, you know, and, it's, and I thought, wow, Mother, you know, you, you thought this, you said this. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, you know, I'm one of your daughters, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, I'm just, just so grateful, I guess, to, like I said, you know, in, in uh, discerning the vocation, um, I didn't have all the, I guess I'll put it the brains of some things, you know, you just, how God leads you. But I thought, oh my goodness, how God has led me to this woman who um, just was so in love with Jesus. Hmm. And, um, and I guess, you know, I, for all of us, I think whatever it is that we love, we like to be around other people who have those same interests. You know, if you like to garden or you like to fish or you like to, I don't know, whatever you like to do, mm-hmm. you're always happy to be around other people about that because you can talk about that. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with us in our relationship with Jesus, you know, the different saints. Um, if our desire for Jesus is there and they had that desire, then we are good friends with them because we share that same same wantings as they did mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of our listeners are uh maybe younger families uh you know they've got kids in the home still they're trying to manage all this what do you think is a, a lesson from uh saint catherine's her life or her her outlook your guys mission 
that you think applies well to them, that how, how they can be inspired and live this out in their own lives? I think a couple things. One, I think looking at Catherine's family herself, uh, the importance, I think, for parents to realize how your children are watching and listening to everything you say and you do. Mm-hmm. Catherine and her sisters observed their parents. They observed their parents praying. They observed their parents helping the poor. They observed their parents um, being people who respected others. And I think that is the greatest thing. You know, I think we can all do a lot of talking, you know, like I'm doing here right now. But uh, <laughs> the big thing is the example. Yeah. You know, and I think, I don't think there's any more powerful example than parents in the lives of their children. And so I think for anyone who is your, you have young parents, if they're listening to this podcast, never, ever underestimate. The, the power of your example for your children. Mm-hmm. It's not a whole lot of big stuff you have to do. It's the day in and the day out. When they see you praying, when they hear you uh, saying, okay, we're going to, well, this is Lent time or whatever time, you know, you're going to uh, give money to the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's different things going on. Uh, we're, let's do this to be able to help others. That is going to make the biggest impression on the child, I think, and will sustain them in their life when they grow up. Because no matter what happens, and even sometimes as you know, kids get bigger, things happen. Sometimes they go their own ways, and sometimes ways people or parents are not too happy about. But I think if they have that foundation, in the end, God is going to use that and draw them to be the good people that their parents want them to be. Uh, so I don't think you can ever underestimate the importance of example mm-hmm. uh, in, in the lives of parents for their children, no matter how small they are, because they will imitate you. You know, and I can tell you, I, I, I'm a former teacher. So I can tell you what kids will tell you when they come to school. <laughs> and some things you say, that stays in the home. We're not going to talk about that here. You know? But um, they do. You know? So I think there's no more, um, I, what a high vocation to be a parent, to have that type of an influence on another human being for life. And it's like that ripple effect, you know, about how um, that will go forth. You never know, because what your child will do. You may think of Catherine Drexler, even with her parents. They never, the example they were giving for their children, Mm. I'm sure the father never had any thought in his mind that his daughter was then going to follow that example. And so many people would follow her. And because of that, so many other people brought to the, I mean, it's just, it's an astounding thing. So the, the power of parenthood is, is terrific. Mm. Thank you for that nugget of wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so important. Kicking the pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Just again, thank you so much for going through these stories and sharing about the life of St. Catherine I'm sure that there are listeners right now wondering, you know, how can they support 
the work of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament or where can they find out more about the work that you do? Um, are you online or how can people yes. reach out? Oh, yeah. Everything's online these days, you know, so <laughs> it's uh, www.katherinedrexel.org. Uh, <clears throat> if you go to that site, you will um, uh, sign, I see our website. They'll tell you more about Catherine herself, some of the same things I said, and maybe other additional things. And then about the missions, uh, about the ministries, about well, how to donate. I'll put it there, too. Uh, you know, uh, so it's it's all there. So you okay. can easily find that. Wonderful. So that's katherinedrexel.org. And we'll have a link uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast. You just go to the show notes, and we'll have a link you can click to get over there. Wonderful. Nice and easy. That's great. Thank you. It's been a real, it's wonderful talking with you all. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk about something that you love. So to be able to talk about Mother Catherine, to be able to talk of our, about our congregation, the Sisters of Blessed Sacrament, to be able to talk about my vocation, um, that's a sheer joy. So I thank you for giving me that opportunity. You're very oh, welcome. Certainly. Well, thank you again for joining us today. We have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. For everybody listening, go down to the show notes, click the links, and you can go find out more about the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. Until next time, bye for now.